Uh, Jessica is who you're following. Uh, and so Jessica will be in the back uh, leading in a Pied Piper-esque parade downstairs. Um, if, uh, so we're going to pray as well for the sermon and for the children going with Jessica and for Jessica going with the children that uh, God would be glorified through their time together and that no one will be hurt. Uh, so let's pray. <laughs> Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with Kids Church. Um, pray that you would uh, help uh, Jessica teach well, and pray that she would uh, be a blessing to the kids and help her to be blessed with the opportunity to to teach uh, kids this morning. Uh, pray for the message this morning that that you would um, that you would help me to to uh, bring out what you really want brought out. And I pray that that it would be the thing that folks here need to hear. Um, not that it would be what I desire to say, not that it would be my my will or my heart, but that it would be your heart and your will and your way. I pray for your blessing on this church uh, through hearing the gospel this morning, and and uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ooh. So um, I I uh, I am a uh, world class procrastinator. Um, I, I, I'll wait a moment for that to settle in because I know you're all shocked, uh, at, at the, at the revelation that I, I have trouble getting things done in a timely manner. Um, I've gotten better as I've gotten older. When I was in college, um, I had this habit. It was actually a pattern where I would start writing papers because I, I majored in philosophy and so everything was papers. I would start writing papers, um, the day before. And then what happened was, as the semester progressed, I would get later and later at night that I would start writing, and then eventually I would hit a point where I was writing papers so late at night that I realized, this is stupid, I should go to bed early and get up early, and, which is, of course, the logical next step, right? And I would get up the morning of, like at 4 o'clock, depending on what time the class was, and I would start researching. Um, or I would write and research at the same time when I really got to the crunch point. And, and I would usually print and run uh, to class to drop off my assignment um, um, as, as class was ending sometimes because all you had to do was get it done within the hour. Um, and, and for me, for whatever reason, the pressure helped me work. Um, and, and I don't know, is anybody else in that world where like you, you know, you, you look for pressure or you wait for the deadline. I know Rebecca is perfect and, and never, ever waited to the last minute to do anything. Um, but as I, I'm going to dive into our text today, we're in Acts and, and I want you to think about this, like, cause some people do procrastinate. And sometimes we put things off because it's not urgent, right? Um, and I, I think um, the church in general has fallen into the habit of um, obeying the urgent or, or looking for the, the big flashing light or the big you know, fire that we need to put out or the big thing that we need to deal with. And it's easy to lose sight of the things that really matter and dealing with them. And... And uh, there's a, there's a, um, actually, I think it's sitting on the cash register at the grocery store, a magnet um, that I read here a few months ago. It was, uh, 
Jesus is coming back, look busy, you know, <laughs> or here he comes, like, get, let's get on it. And, and you know, we, we have to get out of this mindset. And I know not everybody is there, but this mindset of um, what matters most is what's on fire. Because God has work for us to do, and he's got training for us to do. And there is a job to accomplish, and it is a job that is not accomplished on the last day. It is a job that is accomplished every day, and has to be accomplished every day, because there is work to be done. And to take it a step further, we don't know what the last day is, right? Like, that would be the death knell for me in school, if there was no due date, you know, well, we'll just collect it when we collect it. Oh, no. You know, it's um, – so uh, we're in Acts 5. We're going to be uh, kind of working through here. Um, the series so far, we actually – this is the uh, kind of part of a long, long, long-running series on uh, the church. And I did kind of a topical series last year where we talked about what is the church, what is its job, what is it here for, what does it look like. And, and then I thought, well, let's look at Acts. Because in the book of Acts, we get sort of a snapshot of the early church and um, what it looked like and how it developed. And we're going to work through Acts for a little while. and We'll shift off here um, for Easter and whatnot. But um, I, my goal is to preach the whole book of Acts in the next few years. Um, but we're looking at the church. Um, this particular chapter is a big deal. And I, I know we've talked about it a few times, and I'm going to do it real quick. But it's a big deal because it adds a great deal to context. Um, the chapter started with Jeremy, who was not in the chapter but preached on it, uh, talking about Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira, basically what they did was they um, sold a piece of property and lied to the church about it. Like they gave money and they said, oh, we gave all of the money. And when they lied... Not because they didn't give everything, but because they lied, they were, they were struck dead as punishment for lying. And, and here's, here's the deal with that. Um, the church was holy, and to be unholy in the church at that time was, um, was so dangerous that it was a death knell. Like, like, and we should all understand that as believers. Like, and this is kind of what I talked about last week, to be holy in the presence of God, following God, God is making us holy every day. We are not believers because God is making us happy. We are here to become holy. And holy doesn't mean well-behaved. It means like God. And so um, people were struck dead, and then we transition, and people are coming to the church because it's powerful. People are being healed. Miracles are happening. But people aren't all joining because they're like, yeah, did you hear about that Ananias and Sapphira, you know, folks? Like, they died. So maybe, like, this is dangerous and we need to be careful. Like, and so people were hesitant to join, but they wanted what they had. And that is what every church should be, right? Like, we should reach a point that people want what we are, but they realize it's a commitment, right? I mean, it is a commitment. Um, when I was a kid, there was this thing called the Columbia Record Club. Now, records are plastic things, Rebecca, that are round, and you would put them on a little turntable that spun around, and it would play music. And then there were these things called cassettes, which were much crummier, but you could listen to them in the car. And Columbia, you could send them, how much? One cent, right? And they would send you, like, 80, 
albums. And all you had to do was agree to get albums from them for the next, like, 20 years at the low, low price of $70 a month or something like that. But the commitment was so easy. Did anybody do that? I did it. Like, I straight up did it, like, for a penny. And then I never paid them another dime. Um, <laughs> Because I could. Um, but, but like that low commitment, it made it easy, right? But in reality, following Christ is not a low commitment. It requires us dying to our old selves and being born into a new life. And so the miracles brought people in. And the miracle of the church today has changed lives. We don't necessarily see people physically risen from the dead, but we see hearts made new. That is a miracle that is untouchable by by any standard like a new life is amazing um so they're preaching and they in the last sermon they were arrested and they were like put in jail overnight and an angel broke them out you know the first jailbreak in church history the the angel broke them out and said hey guys go back and do it again tomorrow right um and so uh they have escaped jail gone home gotten a good night's sleep and at daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. It almost, as I was thinking about this this morning, I was praying about this text, and it reminded me of the old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Anybody, you know, like where Yosemite Sam would, like, force Bugs Bunny into the pot, and cram on the lid, and start throwing fire underneath it, and he'd be all excited because he caught Bugs Bunny, and then Bugs Bunny would walk up behind him and say, hey, what you cooking? You know? And, and that is this, like, they have been arrested, they have been persecuted, and instead of shying away, they obeyed. They stepped back into the church, or into the temple, and they taught. Same time, same place, same everything, they did exactly what they were doing before. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. So they get the courts together first thing in the morning, and they are ready to lay the smack down on the church, Right? Like, all right, we're going to get these disciples in. We are going to, you know, tell them who's boss. We are going to drive them away. This is what we're going to do. And so the whole court is there. They're probably sitting around drinking their morning coffee, ready to go. And they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officer did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, a captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Now, watch this. These are guys who are not persecuting the church based on religious-like differences. And we're going to get to that in a second, okay? Don't miss this, though. This is not a small thing. This is not about, oh, well, you're preaching Christ and we don't believe what you're teaching, this is about the position that these guys held that was precarious as all get out. Because every time there's an uprising, every time the Jewish people step up and get a revolt going, the Romans murder everyone and then like put pressure on the chief priests and everyone else to don't do it again. Don't let it happen again. Don't let it happen again. And these guys are terrified of losing their powerful position. They're in a place where they can do whatever they want. They hold all of the cards in the culture. If you wanted to worship God, you came to them, right? 
You wanted to make a sacrifice, you came to them. You wanted to be in the temple, you wanted to teach, you wanted to preach, you wanted to do anything. These were the guys who were in charge. And you know how they got there? They paid for it. Like the Roman authorities sold the high priesthood and occupation of the priesthood to the highest bidder. And it was a very lucrative situation for them. They did not care about Jewish religion. They cared about peace and taxes. Um, And that was it. They wanted nobody to fight, no one to make a big deal, and they wanted to collect taxes, and that was it. And so if anything created problems, and so these guys are in the middle, and they want peace. Why? Because it's good for them. They're making money. And they are. The temple court, like where that marketplace was that Jesus drove out, you know who ran that? The high priest's stepson, or son-in-law, son-in-law, not stepson, son-in-law, ran at this time, ran that market, and they made money. And it was a great deal for them. And they had authority, and everybody respected them. They had awesome, huge houses, and it was great. But understand, they backed up and they said, "Uh uh-oh, what's going to happen now? Right? What will this lead to? What is going to take place? They were afraid because they didn't want the apple cart upset. Not at least before they got finished eating all the apples. So we go to 25. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Bugs Bunny is behind them. You know, hey, you got them in that jail? You know, what you cooking? Um, at that, the guards went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. This is important. How much authority and power did the disciples have? Absolutely none. These are fishermen. They're uneducated. They're poor. They're arguably homeless at this point, right? Like, I mean, they have nothing. The temple guards have absolute authority within the temple. They can do whatever they want. And in fact, actually, the captain of the temple guard would likely end up as the high priest before too long. That was sort of the order of things. You progressed up the ladder, and it really helped if you were related to, like, one particular family. But um, this, this group of guys who have weapons, and they have armor, and they got troops and everything else, they come in, and they're like, we're scared of these guys. What's going to happen? Right? And take note of this, okay? Because we're living in a time where people are panicked about our culture, right? Anybody heard something over the top in the last week about, like, how the whole world is going to end and they'll be kicking in our doors by next month? I'm not quite that excessive, but it's out there, right? Um, You know, oh, Christianity will be illegal and they'll be opening concentration. I mean, whatever. The reality is that there is no authority, no government, no power in the world that can suppress the body of Christ. Um, There was a little while where in China they were using Zoom to figure out who church leaders were. This is like earlier last year. They were using Zoom to figure out who church leaders were in China, and they were arresting them. Um, You know, people... Like, like public meetings of churches before were routinely like broken up because they were not sanctioned. Um, and the church in China grows faster than any church in the world. Um, you go to India where it's frequent for like 
um, Muslims or Hindus to, to literally murder Christians. And the church in India is growing like wildfire, right? Um, the reality is that you cannot fight. You cannot fight God. You can't. He can kill his followers, but like, you know, if they're really his followers, a lot of times they actually don't mind that much because there's this whole heaven thing. We'll get to that. Um, so these guys show up. They've got all the force. They've got all the cards, and they are terrified. And the disciples agree, hey, yeah, we'll go in. You know, there's that great line in, uh, anybody seen the movie Tombstone? One of my favorite lines, like, I don't think I'm going to let you arrest us today. And only the disciples are in this spot. Yeah, I suppose we'll come with you. Let's go. And they're probably being polite, right? Because if they're not, the crowds will rip them apart. You know why? Because I just brought my brother in, and he's missing his foot, and he grew a new one because Peter touched him. Like, I, you know, they're popular. Like, nobody's performing miracles like this. And in fact, actually, let me be really clear here. It was expected that rabbis perform miracles. At the time, I'm not making this up. I actually just learned this a couple months ago. I was reading, at the time, they believed that rabbis should be able to perform miracles. And a lot of times, rabbis dipped into stuff that was, like, pretty not Jewish, like, almost pagan, because they had to, like, perform and, and, like, they had to have some, like, power and authority, which is part of what made Christ so impressive because, like, Christ could say your sins are forgiven and you can walk now. You know, and, oh, my gosh, that guy's got authority. That's a part of the deal. These guys are performing miracles. Everybody, they're very popular because of it. And so they agree. Like, hey, yeah, we'll come with you. We'll go talk to the Sanhedrin. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. So they're brought in and they're put on trial. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are, not, and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Now, there's an important line there, and he shows his cards at this point, right? Hey, Titus, you need to either sit down somewhere. You need to stop running around, boy. Um, that's not in the text, nor is it related to the sermon. Um, but I, I yeah, I've got to threaten him. Um, he shows his cards. You are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. This is not a theological point, Right? This is not an argument over a variation of teaching. This is not an argument about an idea. This is, yeah, so I know we killed Jesus, right? But you need to stop telling people that we did it. He's not disputing the basic facts. He's disputing the fact that, like, they did it. They're becoming popular, and responsibility is going to be put onto them for this, which will threaten their power. It's not about principle. This is straight up about their position and their power and their authority. You're going to make us guilty of this man's blood. That phrasing in the ancient Jewish like setting, it means we're guilty of murder and we would then be executed. And so for the population to suddenly hit this point that like, wait a minute, we believe in this Jesus guy and you killed him. It's dangerous. It's dangerous on a bunch of levels. Mind you, this is a um, this is a Sanhedrin. This high priest guy, he is a Sadducee, right? And like the Sadducees, they didn't believe in 
the resurrection. They didn't believe in miracles at all. They didn't believe in most of the Hebrew Bible. They didn't believe in the prophets. They didn't believe in anything except for the Torah. And because, like the first five books, right, the Torah, the Moses books, and because, like, because the Torah, um, um, like, doesn't talk about the resurrection. It's a later development in Judaism. Um, And so these guys are in this position where they're like, yeah, we, you know, before that was the pretense for arresting them, and now it's, hey, um, you know, not about the resurrection, not about any of this other stuff. It is, you, you need to lay off because you're going to make problems for us. It's political, okay? Pay attention to that. It's important. We're going to come back to it, if I remember. Peter and the other apostles replied, oh, my gosh, I love Peter. Does anybody else love Peter? <laughs> so he says, hey, Stop talking about that Jesus guy. Stop making us guilty of his blood. And Peter replies, and the other apostles, by the way, in context, this means it is not Peter and John. It's not Peter, James, and John. It is Peter and all of the other, all of the other guys, right? Like this is the crowd. This is 12 leaders, including that, I think Matthias was his name, the other guy that they added. Um, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Mind you, they're not disputing the fact of this, but you killed him. And and so, like, he's tossing out his strong card here. He came back to life. Mind you, they're not arguing about whether or not Jesus was raised from the dead, right? This isn't that long after they crucified Jesus. Actually, there was a very simple solution to claims that Jesus was raised from the dead. You know what you could do? You could go get the body and drag it out and be like, nope, he's still dead, see? Why didn't they do that? Because he wasn't there anymore. He was raised. Other people had said it. Nobody's arguing about the resurrection at this point either. It's amazing. They're only concerned about, they're only concerned about their position. Um, and they just want them to shut up. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Peter is there. He is before the court. They are going to lay the smack down on him, right? His life is genuinely in danger. And he does the exact same thing that they're accusing him of having doing, of having done. But he doesn't stop there. He preaches the gospel. You know why? Because that's all that matters. Because at the end of the day, Peter recognizes this is it, right? I have a dog who I very much love, um, except between the hours of about 4.30 and 6 a.m. You know why? Because no matter what I am doing at that time, that dog wants to go for a walk. Because he knows every morning at about 4.30, we walk out the door and go for a walk. So when I had COVID and I was sleeping late, you know what that dog did? Came, sat next to the bed, and cried. And I'd roll over and say, dog, I am dying right now. Leave me alone. And he would cry. You know why? He didn't care about anything else in the world except going.
going for his walk. He didn't care if I was sick. He didn't care if it's snowing. He doesn't care if it's raining. You know what he did to me the other day when it was like 90 miles an hour wind outside first thing in the morning? I let him out to go to the bathroom, and he came running back in because he was terrified of the wind, and then he sat next to me and cried because he wanted to go for his walk. He is single-minded. Peter is single-minded, right? I am not single-minded. I have spent the last four months obsessively following the news and being kind of ticked off about it. I broke my personal tight rule about never talking about politics, and I talked about politics this week. You know what I didn't talk about with that person? I didn't talk about Jesus. Wow. Anybody else in this boat? We look for the fire, and we put it out. I'll get to the Jesus stuff eventually. Don't worry. There's a time to talk about Jesus. It's just not right now because the country is falling apart and we're all going to die. I was doing that for the last year, right? kind of wish I was dead a few weeks ago. Like, <laughs> I didn't die, right? I'm not going to be in a concentration camp next week. And actually, I think there are a lot of people who have taken up the Christian mantle because it's easy. Because it's free, and because you actually don't have to do anything except say, I'm a Christian. Tell me if I'm wrong. The average pastor prays three minutes a week in the United States. You know why? Praying's hard, and there's lots of fires to put out. And it's easy to just not do it, because... A lot of ministers, myself included, I'm doing better. This is actually one of my major life goals. We're just not single-minded. We're not all about Jesus. We're not all about doing this. We have a job to do. We have to make sure that the carpets are clean. There are no holes in the walls. Or we're yelling at Jeremy about the holes in the walls. I know you're out there. Um, <laughs> whatever. Like, we have to put out fires. And we've got to make sure everyone's happy. And everybody likes the music. And everybody this. And everybody that. The single-mindedness doesn't exist. We'll get to the single-mindedness when it looks like Jesus is coming back and it's time to look busy. Right? When it's time to turn in the assignment, I'll start writing that paper. When my kids are a little closer to college, I'll start praying with them. When my neighbors are dying, I'll go tell them about Jesus. Right? We're not single-minded. We're distracted. And we don't grow. Right? I, every week... Every week, I say to my wife, I'm getting dressed for Sunday morning, and my shirts don't fit right, which is awful. I say to my wife, I need to start eating better. You know what my wife does? She laughs at me. And you know why? Because I say it every week, and you know what I ain't going to do? I ain't going to start eating better. Not for more than two days. Because it's just not that important. It'll be important when I have heart disease. I mean, but it ain't that important today. 
we have to make this number one. This has to be our life. Um, I think it was John Calvin who said, I have to speak up when people attack my God because a dog barks when his master is threatened. I can do that at least. How many of us are barking dogs? How many of us are waiting for the last minute? Just put it off. I'm going to tell you, like eating right and going to the gym and everything else that we do to get fit and healthy and do all of this other stuff to grow, it is an everyday process. Growing spiritually is an everyday process. Praying is a part of that. Um, Spending time with other folks and like being accountable is a part of that. Believe it or not, it is. Worshiping God is a part of that. Loving our neighbor is a part of that. Serving people is a part of that. Talking about Jesus is a part of it. Um, It just is. And Peter is single-minded. Peter is giving us an example. Like, this is what we need to be, folks. We cannot procrastinate. Do I think Jesus is coming back next week? I have no idea. Right? I don't know if it's going to be next year. I am driven nuts by folks who spend every day saying, Jesus will be back this week because look at the newspaper and look at Revelation. Right? See how they match? The reality is that we don't know. And we spend so much time, like most of the folks I know who obsess over when the world is going to end, are not following Christ in their daily life. They're not growing disciples. They're not growing themselves. They're not reading and learning. You ask them about the faith, and they can't tell you that much. They haven't memorized a Bible verse in 30 years, and the one they did memorize, and I'm guilty of this too. Don't hear me you know, on the high horse, right? But the one that they did memorize was Jesus wept. Or don't judge because it's mean. I think that's what the message says. Um, so Acts 33. I'm sorry. I know I'm going to end up going long. I've got to knock it off. Um, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, Gamaliel. I know it's, I'm saying it wrong. I don't care. Um, a teacher of the law who is honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. So usually you'd kick the guys out and you'd deliberate. Gamaliel, um, at the time, like this is a contextual thing, and I'm tossing it out there. Um, the chief guy of the Pharisees was a fellow named Hillel, right? He is the, like, amazing, awesome rock star rabbi, Right? It is said that when Gamaliel died, the light of the law went out of the world. Um, Jesus, many of his teachings, like, are comments on Gamaliel's teach, or not Gamaliel, Hillel's teaching. Gamaliel is Hillel's grandson, right? Like, he is royalty in this setting. And actually, if you read, like, the literature of the time, like, he was referred to as Rabono, like, Rabbi of the people. It's the highest title you can give a man. This is the most respected guy in every room he walks into, right? Um, Even his enemies respect him, as illustrated right here. So he says, hey, get him out of here. Let's deliberate. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied to him, and he was killed 
all his followers was dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Now, that is not always true, right? There are all kinds of cults that grow. There are all kinds of pagan groups that grow. Um, You know, Scientology is a thing. Um, You know, Mormonism is a thing. Jehovah's Witnesses are a thing. Like, they grow and they spread and everything else. People are misled by false gospels frequently. Oh my gosh, Eric's such a jerk. You hear he said, I don't care. Um, like false gospels are preached frequently and like we have to speak out against them. Um, but in this setting, there's truth in this. If you fight, if you fight God, you, you're just going to lose, right? <laughs> I mean, if I were to go fight Mike Tyson, even like 80-year-old fat Mike Tyson of today, you know what's going to happen? He's going to beat the ever-loving tar out of me. You know Why? Because I don't belong in a fight with that guy. He's stronger and tougher and nastier and better than me. That's it. God is strong. You cannot fight God. And that is what Gamaliel is saying. You can't fight God, guys. You can't fight God. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Um, This is the church in China. This is the church in India. This is the church anywhere. This is Protestantism, right? Like where the Reformation happened and people were suddenly rediscovering the gospel. And they said, all right, we're going to kill all of you. And it was like trying to kill dandelions on my front lawn. I run the lawnmower over those things and those little white deals spread. And suddenly I have 800 more dandelions. I run those over tomorrow. And guess what happens? I've got 800 more and they just keep happening. Because if you persecute the church, if you fight against the church, if you raise hands against the church, you will lose. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles and had them flogged. Now, to put this into context... Flogging was, uh, I, I forget if it was a three or a four cord whip that was the standard then, um, but you would be flogged twice on the back and then twice on the front and then twice on the back and twice on the front. It was generally considered the case that more than 40 lashes was a death sentence, right? Because what would happen is if you flog somebody enough, eventually there just wasn't enough stuff left to hold their organs in. This is a mean, horrible, nasty thing to have happen, Right? All 12 of them, they line them up, and one after the other, they flog them. Fun? Not so much? Well, you know, how are we going to line up and do it? And they say, hey, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Surely that worked. He fell asleep, man. I'm sorry. I'm just... (laughs) They flogged them. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name day after day in the temple courts and in the house and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the messiah so get this flogged beaten publicly like it would have taken them days to get to the point where they could get up and around again right like because this is a nasty horrible thing to suffer 
and they walked away from it and said, oh, that was awesome. What do you do with people like that? Why was it awesome? Because we suffered disgrace for Christ. Now watch this. We live in a time and a place where we're so comfortable that the church has become the princess and the pea. The princess who peed? No, the princess and the pea. We all know this story, right? She's on a stack of 32 mattresses, and they put a single pea at the bottom of it. And what can't she do? She can't sleep because there is a lump in the bed. It was a pea underneath like 10 mattresses, right? But she can't sleep because she's so uncomfortable. The church has hit this weird place where we are so used to being comfortable and spoiled and, and catered to and watched over that when it looks like persecution might happen in the future, we become soccer players. You ever watch soccer? No, because you're Americans. If, <laughs> if you were to like, like really be bored and it was golf or soccer and the channel changer was broken and soccer was on, um, soccer players exaggerate injury. Like they're not hurt at all, but then they fall down and like, oh, I'm dying. You know, oh, he kicked me. Oh, I'm going to die. And then they throw out their penalty and the guy bounces up like nothing happened. They're drama queens, right? The church has become this, you know, oh, they don't like us. We're being persecuted. The fact of the matter is, if you're being persecuted, you should not complain about it. Right? You should not say, woe is me, I'm being persecuted. You should say, thank the Lord, I get to experience what Christ experienced on my behalf. Praise God that Jesus was humiliated and shunned and disliked. But in reality, we haven't hit that point yet. A lot of times we don't share the gospel because... I don't want to look like that guy on TV, you know, the stereotype character who's a total hypocrite, but then says, have you heard about the Lord Jesus? Have you accepted him as your personal savior? And that's all they know how to talk about. And they're dumb as a can of corn and everything else. Like we don't want to fall into that category. But in reality, guys, there are people around us who are going to go to hell. There are people around us who are living their lives lost. There are people around us who are finding happiness in pornography or in the bottle or whatever. We don't talk about Christ because we're afraid of looking dumb. Does it me too? I'll own it, right? We don't pray because sleeping is nice. Or I got other stuff to do, which is usually my thing. I'll get to the pray part of the day once I'm done with this stuff. Um, we don't read the scriptures because they're kind of boring and there's new episodes of my show. I don't pray with my kids because, gosh, I just want them to go to sleep. Right? I don't meet with other people to grow spiritually. I don't read to grow. I don't anything because it's just a lot of work. I'll do it a little closer to the due date. Guess what? If you try to knock out all your weightlifting in one day and turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're not going to get there. If you try to learn Greek when I was in college, I know I'm long. I'm sorry. When I was in college, I took a Greek final, and I got a D minus in the class, but an F minus minus in the test because I didn't know any Greek because I didn't study it because you can't procrastinate a foreign language without the alphabet. And so the night before, I realized I was royally in trouble. And so I sat down with the book because the professor told us the book is where all the translation will come from. 
So I sat down and I memorized what every Greek sentence looked like and what it meant and all of the punctuation that went with it. And I sat down and one third of the test was translation. And I knocked it out in about eight seconds. You know why? Couldn't read a word of it, but I knew what the sentences looked like. Then came the parsing. And then came the, all the other stuff. And I couldn't do any of it. You know why? Because I didn't know Greek. You will not fake your way past Jesus. On the day when people say, when your kids come home from college and say to you, I don't really believe in this Jesus thing because just because some guy sat down and wrote a book, I'm supposed to believe it. If you don't know how to answer it, guess what's going to happen? You know, oh, well, the disciples just made it all up. It's all fairy tales. If you don't know how to answer that, guess what's going to happen? If you haven't taught them how to answer it, guess what's going to happen? Guys, Paul said it over and over again. The days are short. And the days are short. Do I think Jesus is coming back next week? I don't know. Do I think that, do I think that, that we're living in the end times today? I know we're in the last age, right? I ain't a guy who's going to point at Revelation over and over again, but I'm going to tell you, this is the time to prepare. This is the time to train. This is the time to work. This is the time to grow. Don't wait until the last minute. You will not do it. People will drop dead around you having never heard the gospel. People will reject you because they recognize that you're not growing either. You're not bearing fruit. Why should I follow you? My challenge to you this week is to walk out the door and ask, am I, am I waiting to the last minute or am I like Eric's dog? Not saying you're my dog. I mean my dog. You know, it's time to, it's time to get up and pray. I'm single-minded. It's time to, you know, somebody brings up something and I'm like, oh, yeah, I struggle with that and this is how the Lord helped me get through it. Can I say that out loud? No, it's kind of embarrassing, Right? Somebody says, well, I don't believe in any of that fairy tale stuff anyway, because after all, how could the whole world flood and every animal get on the ship? That's obviously nonsense, right? If you don't know how to answer that question, you let it by. The church should be terrifying to us because it's your whole life, guys. This is not a hobby. It's not a pastime. It's not a thing we do for fun. It's not following the Cubs, um, I assume or Seattle, or whoever we follow. This is our lives. This is eternity. This is your neighbor's eternity. This is real stuff. I'm going to close in prayer. I know I'm long. I don't care. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. I I pray that, that folks paid attention to me just long enough to hear the gospel, if nothing else. And I pray that those who whose feet I stepped on today... Um, wouldn't walk away mad at me, but that they would walk away convicted to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ better, to train in their faith, to, to lift spiritual weights, to come to you every day and pray and dig deep, deep wells in their hearts and souls where they could find, where they can build a foundation on Christ. I pray for your, for your hand in our lives. I pray for your spirit on our church. And I pray that this church would become a fire in this community. Um, I pray that people here would become so much like Jesus that folks would want to stand in their shadow just to be near them. But I pray also, Lord, that folks would think we're nuts. I pray for your spirit and everything. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday.